We have been talking about the miracles of Christ, and we're going to continue on uh, for the next couple of, I think about a month and a half is what we have left. And as we look at the miracles, uh, something that I'm going to say later that I want to emphasize at the beginning today, and that's the, the thing about the miracles, and you're going to see this specifically today, the thing about the miracles is if you look at the miracles and you focus on the miracle, you missed it. The focus of the miracle is Jesus. The focus of the miracle are the things that Jesus wants to do and illustrate through that miracle. Too many times we want to focus on the spectacular. And in focusing on the spectacular, you can miss the thing that's most important. And that's kind of one of the things, one of the things that happens today, I think, in this story. The story that we're looking at is, is the story of, some people call it the lunatic son. It's a demon-possessed son is who it is. And we've seen Jesus deal with demon possession before. That's not, a, that's not a new thing. But the thing about the story this morning is the context of the story. It's about what happens before the story and what happens after the story. So let me paint the picture for you. Uh, the story happens after Jesus is met on the Mount of Transfiguration. So... Let's go back and refresh our mind. Jesus is going up to the Mount of Transfiguration. He takes Peter, James, and John with him. So he leaves nine disciples behind. He takes three guys up to the top. If you remember the story, they get to the top of the mountain. Jesus is revealed in all of his glory. For the first time, Peter, James, and John see Jesus Christ in his glory. And it is awesome. And while they're there, Moses shows up and Elijah shows up. And now it's really awesome. And these guys are sitting there, standing there, and there's Jesus in his glory, there's Moses in his glory, there's Elijah in his glory, and they're like, this is awesome. Let's just stay here forever. In fact, I'll tell you what, here's, a, here, here's the disciple solution. Tell you what, let's just build a little tent, a house teepee tent thing up here for Jesus, and then we'll build one for Moses, and we'll build one for Elijah, and we'll just stay up here on the top of the mountain. And immediately... Moses and Elijah are gone, <laughs> and it's just Jesus standing there. And, and God basically goes, uh, you're missing the point, guys. It's about Jesus. It's not about Moses and Elijah and all this, this moment. And so Peter, James, and John have this incredible mountaintop experience. What happens is, what's, this story this morning is about the nine guys at the bottom of the hill. Because what happens is, there's nine guys at the bottom of the hill, and I think it caused a little bit of a riff because three guys get to go up and nine guys stay. You know, it's kind of like you're picking teams for baseball and you're like the last kid picked. It's kind of one of those scenarios where it's like, okay, how come they picked those three? And the reason I say that's probably an issue is because after this story, Jesus is going to look at these guys and he's going to look, I've got to go away now. And you know what their next question is? Who's the greatest? So, you know, they're, they're trying to vie for positions. Okay, if you're going to go, who's going to be in charge? So the nine guys are there, and I think what happens, I'm guessing here, but I think what happens is a guy comes along whose son is demon-possessed. And he comes on to these disciples thinking Jesus is with them, and I think what he's thinking is, Jesus, I need you to, to, to fix my, my son. But Jesus isn't there. Jesus is on the mountain. So you've got nine disciples there, and so the guy looks at him basically and goes, 
hey, uh, can you guys fix my son? Now, let's remember, the disciples have been doing this for a year now. They've been cast out demons for a year. They've been healing the sick for a year. And I'm sure the disciples went, yeah, we'll get, well, sure, bring him. They try, nothing, nothing, nothing. At this point, a crowd gathers, and there's a large crowd gathered, and the crowd is now arguing with the disciples. In particular, the leaders are. I think what happened was the spiritual leaders found out. They're always looking for something to needle Jesus with. And all of a sudden now, there's a situation where if Jesus is God, and these are his guys, and his guys could do what he did, and his guys can't do, then we got something to nail Jesus with now. And so I think they're just nitpicking away at him. And it becomes a great big argument. It is at that point that Jesus... Peter, James, and John come down from the mountain, and there's a great big argument going on at that moment. That's where the story starts. So, Mark chapter 9, it's also found in Matthew, and it's also found in Luke. But Mark chapter 9, here's what it says. Um, got it, guys? Oh, what does it say? Okay, yeah, there we are. Um, it says... When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. So what had happened again? I think everybody is zeroing in and yelling at these guys and saying, see, you guys aren't who you say you are. It's an ugly, ugly, ugly scene. And notice what happens. As soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. So follow this. There's a big, big debate, argument, brouhaha happening they glance over jesus is coming down the mountain and they leave the disciples and the people arguing and start heading all over to jesus so the whole crowd starts moving this way now if you're a teacher of the law who's somebody who's highly respected you're kind of ticked honestly i mean you're trying to to rally up you're 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 trying to cause a problem here and now all of a sudden, all the people who you were trying to cross the problem with aren't there. They're heading over to Jesus. And notice what it says. What are you arguing with them about? So Jesus now comes down. The whole crowd kind of moves towards him, and he asks, well, now look, he's God. He knows the answer to this. He didn't need to ask this question. But he asked it to stir the heart and the conscience. Because... These guys were trying to get the disciples, corner the disciples, and now Jesus is going, what are you guys arguing about? And notice, do any of the teachers of the law respond? Nobody says anything. Because now it's like, oh, we'll pick on the disciples, but I don't know that we want to tackle Jesus. There are too many people that like him. And notice what happened. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who was possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Now, in Mark, there's something very unique about this story. Uh, remember back, and you don't remember this, but I'll remind you of this. Back when you were in high school, and you probably took a poetry study thing, you learned about rhyme and, and meter, and you learned about uh, how you group little stanzas together and all of that kind of stuff. That happens in this story. In this story, it's uniquely designed in that the beginning of the story starts with the disciples, then it focuses on the son, then it focuses on the father, 
Then it goes back to the Son. Then it goes back to the disciples. If you put it on a chart, it goes just like this. And the peak of the story is the confrontation with the Father. And on the bookends of that are the dealing with the Son and dealing with the disciples. And so in this thing, the dad steps up to the plate and he says, I got a kid who, I mean, it's like he turns crazy um, all of a sudden. He, he can't talk and he just goes, he just goes nuts. And, he, and he's, a, he's a hazard to himself and he's a hazard to everybody around him. And he says, so I took my son and I brought him to your disciples and I said, fix him. And they couldn't do it. They, they, they did tried. They couldn't do it. And now Jesus responds. Notice what he goes on to say. Um, next, he says, you unbelieving generation. So he looks at all these people here. I don't think this is just the disciples. I think this is the disciples and the Father and the Son and the crowd and everybody. He says, you, he, he's somewhat frustrated. And he looks at it and he goes, you guys don't get it yet. You don't get it yet. And he notice what he says. How long shall I stay with you? How long will I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And notice what happens next. It says, so they brought him. And this becomes very important when we start talking about lessons. When the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. The second this Spirit, who has overtaken this boy's body, sees Jesus... He knows his fate. And he makes one last-ditch effort and almost tries to kill the boy. Some, some Bible scholars actually believe the boy dies Okay, when Jesus casts the demon out, actually. but he's And Jesus looks at the dad, and again, Jesus knows the answer. He's not asking this because he didn't know the answer. He looks at the dad and notice what he says. How long has he been like this? Because he wants the dad to understand what he's about ready to do and notice what the dad says jesus asked the boy's father how long has it been like this from childhood he answered it has often thrown him into the fire or the water to kill him if you can do anything now he's talking to jesus and you're like if you can do anything why would you say that whoa, whoa, whoa. don't be too hard on dad i mean dad had already come to the disciples and thought the disciples could do something the disciples tried and couldn't and the disciples were Jesus' followers. So at this point, Dad's pretty much given up. And Dad says, if you can do anything, notice what he says, have pity on us. Um, this word is a really unique word in the Bible. Uh, it's used when the Syrophoenician woman comes to Jesus. She was the woman who said, you know, even the Gentiles get crumbs from, from the table. It's used in Paul, when Paul, in the Macedonian vi vision, calls him to Macedonia. It's, it, it's used there. It's used in Jesus in the book of Hebrews when Jesus says um, he suffered for us so that he can understand our suffering. It's a word that's a combination of two ideas, to cry and to run. And it's the idea of when you hear somebody in crying out for help, you run to go and help them. What he's saying is, have pity on us. We're, we're desperate here. I don't even know if you can do anything. But if you can, help us. And that's what Jesus says. If you can, said Jesus. Everything is possible for one who believes. Matthew says it this way. Matthew 
uses between this and the discussion with the disciples. He talks about the idea of faith and, and being able to move a mountain here. And he says, look, he said, everything's possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. He said, I, I do believe you can do this, but you've got to realize I'm struggling because I brought him to your disciples. Your disciples couldn't do it. I, I'm just struggling here. I'm really struggling with my belief. I want to have the faith and trust in you, but I, I'm just having a hard time right now. And notice what happens next. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, so Jesus is having this interaction with the dad, and the crowd starts getting larger and coming towards Jesus. Now, this is important. If the focus is the miracle, what's Jesus going to do? He'll wait till everybody gets there. You know, um, how many times do, I, do we get ready to start church and go, oh, okay, there's still some more people coming in. We'll wait for them. Maybe, maybe this should tell us that we should start on time. And I, I know. What Jesus does is, it says, um, he, when he saw the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impu impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. So rather than make the scene with everybody, Jesus realizes this could be a big deal. So he, he, he deals with it then and there, and he says, okay, come out. And notice what happened. It says the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. And Jesus takes him by the hand and lifts him to his feet, and he stood up. Unspectacular here, Jesus just reaches down and picks him up and goes, see, he's not dead. Um, there are some people who believe that actually the boy had died, Jesus brought him back to life, and I don't think that's here. But it says, and then after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately. There are four occasions of the book of Mark in which Jesus takes the disciples inside to talk to them. This is the second. And in this story, Jesus takes them inside, and the disciples say, why couldn't we do it? Jesus, we don't get it. We've done this for a year. We've been, we, we've been casting out demons. We just couldn't do this. Why not? And it's interesting. Notice what he says. This kind can come out only by prayer. Um, some of you, if you have the King James, it'll say fasting too. Um, I think the focus here is prayer. If you look at Matthew... Matthew talks about the issue being faith. Because I think when you put them together, that's really what he's saying here. Little faith, little prayer. Big faith, big prayer. Um, they're combined together. I like what one guy said. Here's how one guy interpreted the passage. I've got to read this to get it right because it's such an odd statement. But to me it stands out so well. Here's what he said. You could not do this because of your slack slap-dash prayer. He said, that's the reason you couldn't do it. And it's a, it's, it's a very, very important lesson for the disciples at this moment because the disciples had come up against something they couldn't do, which they had been able to do. So that's the story. Um, uh, there's a bunch of takeaways in this story, uh, and, and I, that's kind of what I want to give to this morning. So here we go. Here's the first one. I think this story tells us a lot about the timing of God. Look at the context. What had the disciples just been? What had Peter, James, and John just experienced? They were on the mountain. 
And the nine guys are in the valley. And all of a sudden, these guys who are going, man, let's live up here. This is what it's like. This is what Christian life is like. This is awesome. And the next thing you know, they're, they're in the middle of, they can't do something they've been able to do for a year now. And, and, and they're confused about it. And then in a few moments, Jesus is going to pull them aside and he's going to go, guys, I'm leaving. It's really important you learn how to do this on your own because I'm gone. And they really struggle with that. And so in, in the way this thing lays out, Jesus says, look, here's, here's the way it works. He said, you know, you've got to understand that, that the timing the timing is the way the Christian life works. Um, throw up that, I got that little slide, looks like a bunch of squiggly lines. Okay, yeah, this is on the internet this week, I love it. This is what we think. Our plan for our Christian growth goes like this. God's plan is like this. And that's what you see in the life of the disciples. One minute these guys are on a mountaintop, the next minute these guys are in the valley. One minute they're doing great, the next minute they're struggling. The whole time we've talked about these miracles, you watch the disciples go like this. And you're looking at it going, I don't get it. That's because that's the way Christians grow. That's the way we grow. And there are moments in your life when you're on the mountaintop and you want to go, this is awesome, this is great, let's just stay here for as long as we can. And there are moments that you're in the valley and you want to get out as fast as you can. It's all part of the journey. It's all part of the journey. And I want to encourage you because some of you are struggling right now. You're like, you know, I feel like I'm in the bottom of the valley and it's just, I'm never getting out. No, you're getting out. You know, some of you are like, you know, I don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. And then you see a light and you go, oh, no, it's a train. Um, I mean, that's where some of you are. And I get that. I do, I get that, but what I'm trying to encourage you is hang in there because there are those moments where it's going to be, it's going to, you're going to be on the top of the mountain. And, then, and after every mountain experience, mark it in your calendar, after every mountain experience, there's going to be a valley. In the life of Jesus, God from heaven speaks down and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Baptism of Christ, awesome experience. You know what the next event is? Immediately after that, Jesus goes in the wilderness to be tempted 40 days. Great opportunity. Jesus is sitting there with his disciples at the Last Supper, an awesome event. You know what the next thing is? He's in a garden being betrayed. Taken away. Mountain Valley, that, that's part of it. I think you also learn something in this passage about faith, both from the dad and from the disciples. And, and here's the bottom line. When, when the dad finally comes to Jesus, and he says, if you can, you realize at that point, dad had pretty much given up? Do you realize because the disciples could not cast out this demon, the disciples had given up? And, and, and I want to challenge you because, as simply as I can say it, I think faith, it's very simply the idea of not giving up. Faith is that idea that when I'm up against all of it, I still have hope that God can do something that no one else can. Faith says, maybe God can work out our marriage problems. 
Faith says, maybe God can help me work things out with my boss. Faith says, you know what? I'm going to keep praying and hanging in there for my kids, even though they've walked away from God and everything to do with him. Faith says, I'm still going to hang in there. And, and I want to challenge you because at this point, and I'm not going to be critical of dad at all for giving up. But Jesus has to remind him that, you know what? When you bring me into the picture, everything's possible. And you got it, you're going to have to trust me on this one. I think another lesson in this story is about Satan and his kingdom. And I don't want you to miss it. What does Satan try to do to this boy? Kill him. The Bible says the enemy, Satan and his kingdom, is all about three things. Satan has three goals for your life. Steal. He wants to rob you of things. Kill. He wants to destroy things in your life. And destroy. Steal, kill, destroy. That's all he cares about. You see, Satan understands that God's too big a deal to, to, to battle. So his idea is, instead of battling God, I'll just battle God's creation. So instead of battling God, what I'll do is I will just turn his creation against him. I will destroy them. I will kill them. I will rob them of things. God simply says, look, I've got your best interests at heart. I'm going to give you a Bible. I'm going to show you how to live. I'm going to tell you how to be a businessman. I'm going to tell you how to be a husband and a wife. Tell you how to be a kid. I'm going to tell you how to be a grandparent. I'm going to show you everything you need to know to get through life safely. And here it is. Because my goal is for you to have the best possible life. And Satan simply says, tell you what, I'll give you a shortcut to all that. But I'm not going to show you the price tag. Because the ultimate price tag is, I'm going to rob some things out of your life that God wants you to have. I'm going to take them away from you. I'm going to, I'm going to steal some things. I'm going, to, I'm going to destroy some things in your life. That's my goal. That's what I want to do for you. And God's saying, no, no, there's a, it's like that. It, again, the illustration this morning we talked about in Sunday school, the stoplight, red, yellow, green. Have you ever sat there and stood at a red light and gone, I can't believe how hard this is? I mean, don't they want me to be free? Why are they limiting me like this? Why are they making me stop? And if you've ever been at a stoplight at 2 o'clock in the morning, it's even more frustrating. Because you're going, there is no car on the road. Why am I stopped here? You're stopped there because it's red. And if you go through it, there could be somebody there to give you a ticket. And so you sit there, and, and you go, you know what, I should, I should, I don't want to, I want to be free. I want to run the light. Go ahead. You have every choice to run the light if you want. But you need to remember this. When you do, you risk hurting yourself and others. And it may ultimately cost you your life. You're free to run it. But that red light there is there to protect you. And so many times in the Bible, God says, don't do this. 
and it's there to protect us. And we go, you know what? I think I can run it. And you know what? You have every right to run it. Go ahead. But you do not get to choose the consequences of running that light. God does that. And I want to challenge you because so many times we rationalize Scripture away and stuff like that. We go, well, I know the Bible says I shouldn't do this, but I think it's okay. Okay, run the light. And, and that's what is so important for us to understand is that God puts those things in to protect us. And I just want to challenge you because Satan is out there to destroy you. And he doesn't care how. If he can get you more interested in a, oh, I know what, here's where we're going to go. Ooh. Ooh. If he can get you more interested in football than your spouse, he wins. If he can get you more in- interested in your career than your marriage or your kids, he wins. Because you don't understand. You won't understand until you're 50, 60, 70, 80 years old what has been, ro- what you, what has been stolen from you. You'll be like my dad, who every time his son visits, he has to tell them how sorry he is for not being there. I got tired of hearing it. I told him, I said, Dad, it wasn't that bad. But in his mind, it had become a bad thing, and it become a thing where he kept beating himself up, and he allowed Satan to let him beat, beat himself up over and over and over and over again because he gave his best years to Texaco, not to his family. Believe me, you don't want to be there. You know, you do not want to be there. Because Satan will rob you of those things. I think that's, by the way, I think that's why the grandparents are so much different than parents. Because you're trying to make up for all the mistakes you made when they were kids, when you had your kids. And it's like, you know, you start to realize, ah, you know, I don't have to be that tough. You know what, you want to know the real reason you're not that tough? Is because you don't have to have them 24-7. That's the only reason you're not that tough. Because if they were there 24-7, you would become the person that you raised your kids at. You go, okay, no, no, I got this figured out now. You know, I have to deal with the, oh, yes, you can have an ice cream. You know, I have to deal with all that now. And I just want to challenge you, look, Satan, understand, he doesn't care about you. But God does. And I think the last lesson, to me, the lesson that I think is key in this miracle is this idea. I think the disciples got so accustomed to healing people, casting out demons, doing this stuff, that over time they had developed their little routine and formula and ritual and that kind of thing. So this guy comes in and he goes, hey, can you, can you cast a demon on my son? Yeah, sure, okay, let's gather them together and, okay, Lord, you know, bless him and take care of him and cast him out and tell him not to come back. Dee, 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 dee. Amen. Nothing. And he looks over and goes, Matthew, why don't you try it? Matthew tries it. Mark, why don't you give it a shot? I know, I'll tell you what, let's try it. Let's like all get together and hold hands and do it. Still nothing. Because I think they had gotten so accustomed to seeing God work and God doing things, and they had their little formula and they had their little rituals, that, that it almost became a thing. They were depending on what they did, not on Jesus anymore. And Jesus has to look at them and go, listen, guys. You can't do this ministry thing half-heartedly. 
It's an all or nothing thing, guys. And you didn't you missed in the boat here. Because guys, here's ultimately what he's gonna say. I'm getting ready to go, and you're not gonna be able to come to me and go, hey, how come we couldn't do it? Because it's all gonna be on you. I think it's a little bit of Jesus' frustration of I can't believe you guys haven't gotten this thing by now. And I just want to challenge you because you know what? I see that a lot in the Christian life. We go through our little routines. I'll be honest with you. I'm guilty of this. This message this week, I don't care if you get anything out of it or not, this message was my message this week. It really was. Because I'm, I'm working on this thing, and I'm working on this thing, and I'm going all the way through it, and all of a sudden I stepped back for a minute, and I went, I went, well, God went. God said, uh, hey, let me ask you something. Now, God didn't physically come down and like my office says, but here's, here's what God impressed by my heart. You're kind of praying for Doug the way you've prayed for a long time, aren't you? And it's like, yeah. And it's like, you know what? There's some things that you come up against that uh, you've got to handle a little differently. You've got to be a little more serious about it. You've got to be careful about depending on your haphazard, routine kind of thing. Because there's some things that are just going to take more than that. So it's kind of one of those things where God went, to my heart, to say, you know, some things you're going to have to take a whole lot more seriously in, 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 in the way you approach it. And, and, and it was a real... It was a real conviction to me to take a good, hard look this week at my prayer life. Because too many times, I'm afraid you get into the routine, and it becomes a routine. And it was a challenge for me to step back and go, you know what, you need to really think about what you're doing as, in your praying, and how you pray for people, and, and the way you pray for people. And, and, and so it was an eye-opener to me this week, about my faith life, my prayer life. And I want to challenge you with the same thing. I think sometimes we can get into those ruts and routines. And we need to be careful of that. So my challenge this week goes like this. Jesus reminds us to not depend on our own abilities, but rather put our faith and trust in Him. He links prayer and faith together and reminds us that both are necessary ingredients for the life of a believer. Don't let Satan rob you this week of things that God wants you to have. Let's pray. Lord, help us. God, it is so easy to not think about how we come into your presence. Lord, we are grateful for the idea and the opportunity that we can boldly come into your presence at any moment, at any time of the day. But Lord, sometimes we take that for granted and sometimes we very flippantly run into the throne of Christ. And God, help us to take that more seriously. God, help us to understand that, Lord, we can't depend on our ability or our past successes or our past things that we've seen happen. But that, Lord, in a new and, and unique way, we need to be dependent upon you. And, Lord, this week as Satan tries to get into our lives to hurt us, Lord, may you help us to realize that some of the things you've told us to do are to protect us and that we need to get back to being obedient and doing what you've called us to do. 
So help us do that this week, Lord. And uh, when it's all said and done, we ask that you would be honored and glorified with our lives. These things we ask in your name. Amen.